welcome back to the Quack Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed. And Reed, I was very wrong, very wrong about this game, and I'm very happy about it. Um, dominant win in the desert for the Ducks, and we move. It's five. We're five and one. Nice little bye week before a big game coming up against UCLA. How do you feel? I think that a lot of things went well in this performance for Oregon. Uh, I'm not completely. I don't think our read on this being a potentially scary game was completely incorrect, but I think that the Ducks just really handled their business and did everything they could to make this game, you know, not competitive um, early on. I think obviously the turnovers helped a lot. You know, it's one of those games where if the Ducks are minus three in turnovers, it could have gone a little dicey, but because Oregon was plus three, uh, you know, especially with the early one, I think kind of was deflating for Arizona. And then the offense got into gear and scored on seven straight possessions here after their first punt. Obviously, that was a big storyline of I, we thought that the offense could do that on the road, but we hadn't really seen the offense do that on the road, um, you know, this year, obviously, with the Wazoo game, points came, but it was a slow start. And then just over the past few years, being an Oregon fan, it felt like even against bad competition, we never had an offense we could trust to score this many possessions in a row. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Oregon's seven rushing touchdowns are it's the first time they've done that since I don't even know when. Uh, at one point, the athletic department, the athletic department will like shoot out little stats during the game. At one point, they said the six rushing touchdowns were the most since the Oregon State game in 2018. I don't know when the last time we had seven is, uh, if ever. Um, but I mean, the <laughs> the recipe for winning this game was as predicted by us um, in terms of what we needed to do: just run the ball. That's not to say we weren't able to throw the ball. Nick's had another great game, uh, even though he didn't come come up with any interception or sorry, touchdowns or interceptions for that matter. He didn't need to. Um, we were just dominant in all phases. Uh, but as you said, I mean, this thing maybe could have gone a little bit differently had Arizona been able to capitalize early on uh, and build some of that momentum. The first like ten plays or so, they they really had the upper hand. I think. Um, at least when they were on offense. And then Oregon made a couple big plays, and it's funny because that's usually the the recipe for the, the underdog to win, right? Is even if you're, you know, losing success rate-wise on, like, a handful of plays, if you get that one momentum-changing one, uh, <laughs> the Noah Whittington touchdown for us, that can really just change things. Um, and obviously the fumble helps with that as well, but... Um, Let's talk about more general stuff. Like, I think something that we've been waiting to see for weeks now and that we finally saw a pretty dominant performance from is the defense. Uh, we can talk about the offense all day. and I mean, the streak of 40-plus point games continues. Uh, the Tucks have averaged 50 points since week two, and we pretty much kept that going. Uh, but, I mean, the defense in this game really stepped up, I think, like, are there guys who stood out that played better for you, or was it just kind of a collective effort that they played better in? I think I think the linebacking core I started to feel a little bit better about 
Uh, I think that we saw some flashes of Sewell and Flo. Um, I think Jaleel Florence stepped up pretty big time in, in his cornerback role. It wasn't a perfect day from him, but he was rounding into form well, uh, especially after Manning went out. Um, and then, you know, the usual suspects. I mean, Bennett Williams had another good game, as did Christian Gonzalez. Those are guys that we have come to depend on a little more. Um, and the Ducks' run defense continues to be good. Uh, but I think that the big thing about this team through six weeks of the season is it's shown a lot more room for improve or a lot more capacity to improve than we've seen of almost any other Oregon team in the past few years. It feels like we've had a lot of seasons where, um, I mean, especially last year, the Oregon team really got worse throughout the season. Uh, and this year it feels like things are being stacked on top of each other. One week you figure out the tackling a little more. Yeah, I, our reception was breaking up a little bit, but I got the gist of what you were saying, I think. Yeah, um, yeah and and now I think that um, Oregon, you know, is adding to the secondary and they're becoming another, you know, not bright spot necessarily, but that weakness has been negated a bit for this team. Yeah, on the run defense especially, uh, this is Oregon's... Sorry, wait, where did the stat go? Uh, I believe it's Oregon's fifth straight... No, Oregon hasn't allowed more than 150 rushing yards in a game this season. I, that wasn't on my radar at all. Um, I, I guess it makes sense if I think about it. 150 isn't that many, though. Like That's a pretty good stat to have in your back pocket halfway through the season. Um, especially considering some of the teams we played. I mean, BYU, we talked about, like, yeah, they lost to Notre Dame. They haven't looked good the past three weeks, but they're a physical football team. Like, you would expect them to be able to run 150 yards, even on good defenses. Um, Wazoo, not really a running team, but, I mean, Stanford kind of similar. Like, you always expect Stanford to be able to do something on the ground. Um, so I was just really impressed all around with – the way Oregon played in this game. Uh, again, if we get into the timeline, we can start pointing out some specific stuff. But in general, I was I was very impressed uh, with how the team just kind of carried itself in general. Um, another thing we kept talking about that was a big problem for Oregon was penalties. And of course, as soon as I, I tweet out something about the penalties being better, they get clean or they get flagged for, I think it was the Noah Sewell, like throwing someone out of bounds. But in general, I mean, very, very improved on the penalty side of things. I don't remember a single offensive line penalty. Maybe there was like one somewhere in there. Um, but overall, I thought this was a more disciplined team. It looked like one that was focused and ready for this game, which I was hoping or I, I was a little bit skeptical about coming in. Um, I, overall, I was just up and down. I have nothing to complain about from this game, honestly. Uh, and I'm very excited to be able to say that because again i predicted oregon to lose i thought this was a game we wouldn't be ready for so um any more general stuff you want to touch on before we we go up and down yeah i completely agree i would say you know it was the most complete performance of the season and um that's in line with with your mm -hmm. thoughts as well um all right so let's kick this thing off again as i mentioned arizona did pretty well to start the game um they had a lot of the momentum they were energetic 
they chose to receive the ball after winning the the coin toss, which is always interesting. Um, I don't know, deferring. I mean, getting the second half kickoff really helped the Ducks in this game. They didn't even have to defer it. But uh, Arizona goes nine plays, 64 yards. Um, Jaden Delora was kind of carving us up, honestly. Uh, He started off with Tanner McLaughlin. He was hitting Jacob Cowing for a big play. Uh, He was looking for Cowing again when Cowing fumbles and DJ Johnson recovers the fumble. This is at first and goal for Arizona. Um, so really like back and it was one play after converting a third and six, kind of a backbreaking play for them, but, um, and Oregon doesn't even score off of it either. Uh, it was kind of a, a weird way to start the game. Arizona gets the ball back. They go nine plays again. Uh, and this time Oregon's defense holds in the red zone and force a field goal. I don't know about you, but I felt pretty lucky to be getting out of that out of those two drives, only down 3-0. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge turning point of the game in which Arizona, you know, as much as I feel good about Oregon, uh, I think those two drives were indicative of the fact that Oregon didn't take Arizona's best shot necessarily. Uh, Not that they had a horrible game all around, but those are missed opportunities that if you're trying to pull the upset as Arizona, you're going to need more than three points from those two drives. Um, and the first one, you know, that fumble was pretty self-inflicted. I, I don't think you can give the Ducks too much credit on that. Um, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but but to get the stop on the second drive and force a field goal was, uh, you know, a, a positive development for sure. Uh, Ducks get the ball back, and it only takes five yards because as soon as they get to the 45-yard line, uh, Noah Whittington, 55 yards, and at this point I was I was hyped about being able to throw out a tweet that had been stuck in my drafts for a little bit, which was Oregon lost, and it's something we've talked about on end already, but Travis Dye, C.J. Burdell, 5th and 6th leading rushers in school history, like 3,000 yards apiece, or I, I think, uh, maybe a little bit over that. And the running back room upgraded. We haven't even had Byron Cardwell for significant minutes this season. And Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington are looking like LaMichael James and Kenyon back there. It's absolutely insane. Um, I understand why they're splitting reps because, like, if either of them can do things like this, you want that guy touching the ball. Um, This is just a super balanced, super potent running attack. And... I mean, this play kind of just demonstrated Oregon's talent differential, right? Um, This is a play where Whittington can just kind of make a couple cuts and outrun everybody else. Um, I I think it's probably the biggest play of the year for him so far. But yeah, what are your thoughts on this play? Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, I mean, you could even add to Oregon's running back room improving – you know, the fact that Byron Cardwell has been injured this year and, and not played that much. Um, and mm-hmm. still, I think, you know, even losing him as a third part of this running back room, I still think that the Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington one-two punch has been an improvement from last year. Uh, and on top of that, you know, Sean Dollars and Jordan James have played their roles really well the past few weeks. And yeah, so I, I completely agree about that. Uh, and I think, Whittington is like, you know, I think a lot of people maybe didn't know what to expect from him. He came from Western Kentucky, which, you know, he wasn't the 
most highly rated guy on this roster, obviously, stopping there first. And he played in a really pass-heavy offense before, and it was a guy that, you know, Coach Locke decided to bring in with him from Kentucky, from Western Kentucky. And he's really showed out. He has speed to be, like, a dynamic kind of home run threat back that Oregon really didn't ha- hasn't had recently. I feel like... Um, you know, I never completely felt that way about either Verdell or Die. They had their moments, but I think Whittington brings a different, um, you know, mix of burst and breakaway speed in terms of, you know, just breaking a run straight up the middle and going and pulling away from the defense. Uh, so that's, you know, a fun thing to watch that reminds me more of some of the vintage backs in Oregon history, like, a, you know, LaMichael James or whoever else you want to pick out. Yeah, I, I felt like a lot of Dye and Verdell's production, and not not to discredit them, because obviously Dye is still doing pretty well at UCLA, or sorry, USC. My mind's been on UCLA already. <laughs> um, they A lot of their production, I think, came from offensive line uh, strength and advantages that we had in that position. Like, being able to push people around, you know, if you can do that, you keep doing it. Uh, not to say the offensive line isn't really good right now, dare I say even improved this season, um, but in general, the the way that Mario used those backs, it was all about getting six yards, getting five yards, you know, getting the, the tough yards, especially with Verdell just putting your head down and running straight into a wall sometimes, um, even if it meant like getting two yards for three straight carries before you break one off for like five or six and occasionally they would, you know, break off those long runs. But, I mean, nothing like this Whittington run where you're, like, running around and through people. Yeah, uh, exactly. Usually it was like, oh, here's the big hole and you go route one to the end zone. Yeah, like the Ohio State run versus for, for Verdell or, or the one he had, yeah. you know, versus Utah in the conference championship game. It's a little bit different style than, than what we saw Whittington do for sure. Definitely. I mean, these guys are versatile. They're balanced. The I mean... On this play, this is like a this. You could convince me this was Michael James if Whittington was wearing yep. twenty one on this run. I mean, he's five yards in the backfield when he makes his first cut, and he just kind of gives a quick stutter step, gets a block from I believe it's Forsyth, uh, just throwing someone to the ground, um, and it's right on top of the A logo. One little stutter step and another cut, and he's gone. Like that's all it takes. Uh, and again, he had that breakaway speed, which. I, again, I feel bad kind of kind of riffing on our old backs at this point, but a lot of times you would see those guys get brought down from behind and they wouldn't have that literal yeah. breakaway speed where they could just outrun everybody. So um, Oregon's biggest play of the first half, definitely. Well, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> there, there were a few big plays, but um, a really important one because uh, Oregon was able to score and take the lead and they never really looked back. Um, all right, next drive, Arizona gets the ball back. They, they need to score to kind of keep themselves in the game at this point. And Oregon's defense comes up with another big stop, um, on second and 10, uh, they get a negative play after an incompletion. And from there, you know, third and 13 force another incompletion. And then it's a, not a three and out cause they had already converted a third down, but a, a six and out which I'm okay with. Um, yeah, no. Ducks get the ball back, end of the first quarter. 
no no positive yards gained or any i mean eight yards gained on that six six play drive and then like you said oregon takes over and marches right back down the field we see another one of those shots to chris hudson where he stumbles and and can't quite get into the end zone (laughs) feel bad for him there um because obviously he's he's had a few of those where he's taken the top off the defense but not quite been able to maintain his balance in there but you know nonetheless it was uh, gave another opportunity for Bonix to pad his rushing stats. I mean, he is just eating up these rushing touchdowns and really statistically mounting like a, a very impressive. Um, I don't know if you know he's going to be a Heisman candidate or not, but whatever these numbers are worth, they're they're getting piled up in terms of the rushing TDs pretty th- quickly here. Yeah, he's got like. He's the first Oregon quarterback to have, stay with me on this one, the first Oregon quarterback to have multiple three-plus touchdown games in the same season since uh, Masoli, which is very impressive. Obviously, that's kind of funny that we haven't had that. Uh, I would expect Darren Thomas to have done it at some point, and Mariota, of course. Um, but I, I guess it also just kind of speaks to the game plan, right? We saw him sneak it in a couple times, um, and then obviously he had that longer one towards the end of like 20-plus yards, but um, I've been super impressed with the way he runs. I'm not going to lie, I do get scared sometimes when he's like scampering out there and doesn't just slide. Uh, I feel like he's sliding less and less in the past few weeks, (laughs) and that's just really making me nervous. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't really trust the backups as well as I do Bo Nix to continue the momentum we have this season. So stay on your feet, Bo. Just get out of bounds, man. We we need you. Um, But like you said, uh, even even before this on that Arizona drive, like they had momentum going still. They had a big kickoff return. They were looking deep down the field, and that was the one where Triquois Bridges should have picked the ball off. Um, So that's like you know, still a bit of a break for Arizona, even though they had the punt right after that. But Oregon's success rate on the ground and through the air on this drive in particular was, I don't know if they had like a negative play the entire time. Um, Just marching straight down the field and it only took 77 plays to go 90 yards, which is kind of insane if you think about it. Um, I mean, I don't, you're the math guy. I don't know what the average is on that, but you're averaging like over 10 yards a play. Uh, considering that big Chris Hudson catch. Um, And I also like that once we got it to the two-yard line, we just punched it in in one play. No nonsense. Like, run up to the line, use your leverage. You know, we should be able to do that right there, getting two runs on a QB sneak against anybody in the Pac-12. So it was kind of validating to see that. Well, Uh, Defense gets... On that note, I would just say, like, you know, I mean... I don't think I'm forgetting anything here. Most of these touchdown drives, there were no hiccups in the red zone. It was, you know, first and goal or second and goal that Oregon was punching these in. Um, And that was pretty impressive. I guess, you know, towards the end of this half, it gets to third and goal of Jordan James. But even that that drive, which we'll, you know, get to in more detail. But, you know, it's I like that you get the ball in a goal situation and you just run it, run it, run it, you know, and even though it took till third and goal, it always felt like Oregon was in full control to score on that possession. 
Uh, and so it was nice because, you know, red zone offense and settling for field goals was obviously a big story of why Oregon was in such a tough position in Pullman two weeks ago. And in this game, this offense was just running like a machine. And the connection between Bo Nix and Kenny Dillingham was flawless pretty much. Uh, it just seemed like together they have total command of what they want to do with this offense. And, you know, Bo Nix is able to execute it uh, to perfection pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that throw down the middle of the field to Hudson, we've seen that pretty much every game now from Nix other than the first one. Um, I mean, that that's a dime. That's a beautiful throw. Uh, that's a throw Jaden Delora wasn't really making in this game. Um that we just don't see a lot of Pac-12 quarterbacks being able to do. Uh, and I tweeted this during the game, and I, I, you know, we don't get into a lot of takes uh, or, you know, hot opinions or whatever on this on this show, but Bo Nix is an undisputed top three quarterback in the conference in my eyes right now. I think I got to give it to DTR at number one. He's been insane the past couple of weeks. And then Caleb Williams is, you know, still not a Heisman contender in my eyes, but I mean, some people will call him that. He's still been really, really good. I mean, is there anyone else you can even think of to put above Knicks or be in the conversation for it at this point? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, Rising and uh, Penix are the other two Pac-12 quarterbacks that I think we're, we're in that conversation of the top tier, but I don't, I don't know. I like... Yeah, I, I like Knicks more than those guys based on how they're doing this weekend and how they're doing this season and especially what we saw from them all this weekend. Yeah, definitely. So uh, as we continue in this game, Arizona gets the ball back. Uh, they do convert a third and 11 to, to start their next drive, which was pretty annoying. Um, some Someone that we probably should have covered a little bit more in our preview was uh, Dorian Singer. He was great. He was all over the place. And throughout the broadcast, they were kind of referring to Arizona's passing attack as like this three-headed monster. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Oregon was getting some decent pressure on Delora at times, um, we did have a, a couple sacks, but they were mostly like pressure sacks I th- or uh, coverage sacks, I think, rather than like D-line pressure. Um, he had a nice little, he had a nice ball to third and 11 conversion, um, even though Brandon Dorless was right in his face. Like, this is exactly what people are talking about with Delora. He's a solid quarterback. Um, he can make some plays, but he's not consistent usually over the course of an entire game. Um, and that really hurt them in this one. The next third down, Jeff Bossa gets in there and finally gets the sack. Uh, atoning for getting just flattened earlier in the game by one of Arizona's running backs. Um, but good for him. We also saw Flo coming back in this game. That was a nice development. Um hopefully he doesn't garner any penalties with the way he plays like I'm always nervous that he's going to cost 15 yards just because he he goes so intensely um but yeah I again Oregon's defense steps up forces a not a three and out but a six and out get the ball back and score again uh pretty good recipe for winning especially when you're on the road just deflate the other team uh to the point where they have no faith that that they can win anymore yeah, exactly. I, I mean, this is textbook how you take a potentially scary road road environment and neutralize it. Um, and that's, you know, Oregon executed on that strategy perfectly in this game. Ducks get the ball back at their own 14. That's just absolutely no problem. Uh, three straight runs to Bucky. 
two straight passes by Knicks. Sean Dollars gets a touch. You get another big play to Chris Hudson. I guess it's technically 18 yards, but it's still a pretty big play. Um, and the Ducks are in business. I really liked this goal line set. Uh, I believe the the term for the goal line formation that we've been looking for is, what do they call it? Uh, was it 14J, I think is the term yeah. they were using. Yeah, with the J being for Josh Connerly, which I absolutely love because obviously we love emphasizing his role in that. Um, and on this little touchdown run by the tight end Maliki Matavao of all people, um, it's Connerly getting that that edge ceiling block um, that makes the difference in the play. Really awesome to see. Like again, Oregon should be able to do this against pretty much anybody they play, and I'm kind of ready to include Utah in that. Um, once you get down to the three yard line, just punch it in. Don't be throwing fade routes. Not not that we've been doing that, but you don't need to go sideways. Just get somebody the ball and let them run straight into the end zone. Um, so yeah, we even got the ball to Terrence Ferguson uh, the play before that, which I also really adored. But um, did anything stand out to you on this drive in particular? Or should we trudge on? Yeah, I think it was. You know, you highlighted a lot of good stuff. I'll also add the the completion to Chase Coda for thirty yards there, uh, and yeah. Coda's emergence. Just as we've talked about, is you know he's just a consistent guy who's gonna get a couple of those mid-level game gains a game uh, and plays that role well and has, you know, just become a really solid wide receiver too to match the upside that Troy Franklin has bought, has brought with the big plays, I would say. Yeah. Coda somebody I trust to not drop the ball. Um, you know, just steady, reliable, He's got your hands. He's going to make a play if you get the ball to him in space. And that's all you really need from a wide receiver. Uh, Obviously, he's not like the fastest guy in the world or anything, but he did show some speed against Stanford. Um, It's just another like another example of Oregon kind of being spoiled with their weapons on offense. Um, Even a team like Arizona, you look around and like, yeah, okay, they have three great receivers, but like they can't even stop our three receivers (laughs) or really any of them that we were throwing out there uh and you add in a guy like ferguson a guy like matavao who can do a lot of different things including taking a handoff apparently um there's just so much reason for optimism in this offense and we need to start talking about them as like one of the best in the country when everything is clicking i know nationally that narrative probably won't fit uh just because so many people watch that georgia game and that will color their impression of us for the rest of the season but um offense have been really impressive i really don't have a single bad thing to say about it since the red zone mishaps against wazoo um so yeah i'm really really proud of the way this offense uh has rolled into form yeah i mean again at this point seven straight touchdown drives ripped off in this game after the punt like that is incredibly impressive um yeah i mean what else can you say about that and, and yeah, Incredibly we can go into the next as well. drive from there. Yeah. Um, so Arizona does get a touchdown on their next drive to open things up a little bit. Um, you have a pass to Jacob Cowing and then another one intended for Cowing, broken up by Sewell, and you get a targeting on Dante Manning. Um, I mean, we don't need to rehash the entire targeting conversation, but uh, we'll just call this unfortunate. Um 
don't know, maybe by the book it's targeting, but uh, whatever. Uh, disappointing to not have him for the rest of the game. But I will say, if there's anything good about this, it was the timing of it. Right before the start of the second half in a game you're already winning pretty comfortably. Um, get some younger guys some reps. We'll talk about how Jaleel Florence played. Um, you know, Manning doesn't miss any of the UCLA game because it happens in the second quarter. Just another weird quirk of this rule that uh, is flawed, I think we can say. Um, and also the fact that they had an entire TV timeout to take a look at this, and they still didn't until after it was over, which I <laughs> thought was, I don't know, it's very Pac-12 referee like um i don't know if you had any thoughts on that call or whatever but yeah i don't it goes from yeah yeah i don't really have any any thoughts on that call but i think that it maybe has some influence on you know the exchange we see right after with this long touchdown run and the only touchdown that oregon lets up in you know i would say non-garbage time um <laughs> and it's yeah, a weird drive, I think, because of that targeting call. And then on this touchdown play, um, it's just, you know, a straightforward run that I f- feel like looking at it again, you know, Sewell and Flo kind of take themselves out of this play. Uh, and, you know, Bennett Williams loses a foot race, which despite him being a good player, we know that's not, you know, necessarily his strength. Um, yeah. I think – it's a maybe an example of these two linebackers being a little over eager. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that that's hopefully improving. I mean, we've seen improvement across this entire team and that's an area where it's a little unfortunate that I think those guys haven't been developed under the past staff as well as we would hope. And it feels like they're still kind of, want to express what they think their talent advantage is in a similar way that you would in like a high school game and think that they can kind of overcommit one way and always recover back, Uh, you know, and sometimes I think you just have to be a little more assignment disciplined and, you know, stick in that hole. And there's just no reason for that simple run to cause like that big of a breakaway play and i think that those guys are are mostly responsible for taking themselves out of it a little bit exactly i mean arizona's blocking decently well on this play against oregon's three-man line front um but as you say i mean sewell and flow basically just run to the center of the play here um and it's a run to the right simple math tells you that unless somebody else steps up and fill that fills that gap uh, it's just not going to happen. Jeff Bossa was also on the field at this point, and this was something I noticed a little bit. Oregon was running with, like, three linebackers for a lot of, like, pure kind of what you would call inside linebackers at this point, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Just a lot of weird defensive fronts, obviously more tilted towards uh, defending the pass against a, a, a team with a lot of outside weapons like Arizona, but... It was the run that gashed us on this play. Whatever. It's only 21-10. Like, if the Ducks can get, you know, keep that momentum going that they had on offense, they would be fine. And as we saw, they they were. Um, another score before the half kind of put a nice cap on, on this thing. Um, I don't think anybody was really sweating once it was 28-10. to But 
another very efficient touchdown drive from Oregon once they get the ball back. Um, starts off with two big completions that net 40 yards. Uh, then you get a, another completed pass to Seven McGee, a run for 10 yards, a run for 11 yards. Uh, and at that point, you're in, you're at the 11-yard line already. Um, a few more Jordan James runs, and that's all it takes. Again, Oregon didn't mess around in the red zone. Like, the plays were clear. It was obvious what we were doing. That's fine. Like, we don't need to dress anything up. Yeah. Um, just lean on your talent advantage on the lines and in the backfield and, and get yards and get a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. There's great management of the clock, too, to, you know, just – end the half with this four minute possession uh and even if Oregon had gotten stopped somehow you know there's no way that they weren't going to get a field goal out of this at least um and not really give Arizona another chance to attack them I think that one thing that stood out to me from this first half uh and was highlighted on this drive too is the diversity of this tight end room right now how many different weapons Mm. can you know be used in different ways to affect the opponent i mean on these goal line situations patrick herbert's and there is kind of a fullback and his blocking has been really good all season uh which is promising after we you know Mm -hmm. haven't really seen much from him i think people wondered whether he would make an impact on this program like going forward because we just hadn't seen it and we'd recruited a pair of really good tight ends uh you know over him you could say I guess but it's cool that they've carved out this role for him as kind of a pseudo fullback uh and a blocking down tight end that that he's really excelled in and then on top of that you know we've we've seen Ferguson emerge consistently and he had another solid game today and then even that that other goal line play where um they do the little flip to Maliki Matavao and he gets in the end zone like I think all three of those guys really can present a lot of problems in this conference. Uh, and then, of course, Cam McCormick, I think, is just a balanced option who, uh, you know, isn't going to lose you games out there for sure either. Yeah, exactly. And also just lining up guys out wide. Uh, Ferguson had a couple catches, I think, from from lining up on the far um, God sideline. Jesus. Uh like you said, lots of different ways to use these weapons um, and the ones that aren't even tight ends too. I mean, Troy Franklin had another incredible catch on this drive. Uh, sometimes these catches happen because of like bad throws. I don't think this is the case. I mean, Nick's just kind of puts it exactly where Franklin can go and get it. Um, just always fun to see these long downfield passes. Uh, so it's good to see Franklin get a catch. I, was that his only catch of the game? I think he had a I thought he had a couple more touches than that, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, Franklin, and this was also the this was also the drive where Bo Nix gets his undershirt absolutely destroyed yeah. by a defensive lineman <laughs> grabbing onto it, which was kind of just a, a funny moment. I don't think I've ever really seen something like that. Um, but my point in bringing these th- these plays up is this was just kind of a fun game to watch. There were a lot of memorable moments for Oregon, uh, a lot of kind of funny moments like that the shirt thing um and overall it was just satisfying to watch Oregon play a completely dominant game um again we didn't expect Oregon to blow out Arizona in this game and it's something we talk about all the time we've been looking for for years uh kind of getting that chip era 
swagger back in terms of putting the game away by halftime uh, or at least like the end of the third quarter. So, um, yeah, it was nice to be able to score like basically 50 points. Um, and this drive exemplified that. I don't know how much more we need to break down each of these individual ones. I mean, we're pretty much getting into garbage time territory at this point. Maybe you could argue it's after the uh, sixth touchdown in a row instead of the fifth one. But, um, I mean, it, it got to a point where Arizona kind of knew they weren't going to be able to stop us. 21 points in the second quarter and then 21 points in the third quarter. You'd be hard-pressed to find an example where a team loses a game after doing that. Um and also in the middle eight, this is something that uh, ball knowers love to talk about, <laughs> is the middle eight minutes of the game. Um, the the last four of the first half, which obviously that's pretty much exactly when Oregon scored. And then the first four of the second half, which is, again, almost exactly the time frame in which Oregon scores. So uh, really huge to get that. Again, these drives are very efficient. Like there's I don't know if Oregon had a negative play on offense like the entire game. Um, incompletions were the worst thing we did on offense as a unit. So really impressive just up and down. I can't stop saying it enough from this offense. Defense steps up a little bit. Uh, Arizona does get a field goal before the end of the first half thanks to a, another big run from Jonah Coleman. But uh, it ends up not mattering. They also are not mattering that much at least. Jaleel Florence gets his first defensive penalty on this drive as well. That was kind of disappointing. Is now a good time to talk about him? You want to do the Jaleel Florence combo? Yeah, yeah. I think now's the right time. I mean, we talked about it even after the Georgia game. The thought everyone was saying, like, okay, what's gonna what's the rest of this secondary gonna look like? Can we find a second corner beside Christian Gonzalez? And I remember talking to you and saying, like, Maybe after the bye week, a guy like Jaleel Florence will be in, be able to step up and be, you know, at least a solid rotation player and potentially kind of that starting number two guy. I don't know if we're all the way there yet, but we're getting closer and closer. Uh, and even just for the future of this room, it's a guy who, like, he's a true freshman. Uh, I think that coming back next year and going forward, like, Jaleel Florence has the potential to be a legit cornerback one for this, you know, for the next few years of this program. Yeah. Other than the penalties, he had a pretty solid game in this one. Um, I can't really remember a lot of big plays that he gave up at any point. Um, Maybe that was just me turning a blind eye to it, but in general, I, I actually thought he played pretty well from what we could see, of course, because it's always tough to actually see things like that uh, on football broadcasts nowadays that they're all zoomed in. But uh, I will say the Pac-12 network is actually, I think they're a little better about showing that stuff. But anyways, yeah, I thought he had a really good game, honestly. Uh, the penalties are what they are, and that's going to happen to a young corner, especially against as talented wide receivers as he was playing. Um, but it was nice. Like, he... Like you said, I'm ready for him to step into a bigger role with this team. And hopefully he can do that down the stretch. Uh, We may need him because, again, injuries haven't really... We've had some injuries, obviously Cardwell and Flo being the main ones. But we haven't really been snake-bitten by them yet. Um, And, you know, if if that happens in the secondary, I feel confident throwing a true freshman out there, which is really weird to say. But that's just kind of football nowadays, I guess. Um, 
as we go through the rest of this thing, um, Arizona has an interception, which is obviously picked off by Florence. Don't know how much of this I can like put on him doing the right thing. And as much as like, he just does what he's supposed to do. Uh, I think Delora throws this, like it gets tipped by somebody. I can't exactly remember who, um, from the angle that they showed from behind, though, I don't know if it was going to be a great pass in the first place. Like, I don't know if it was a great read. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, either way, you know, good on Florence for picking it up. Um, yeah, if I there's think, any more big plays, I think you kind Dorless of was the one who got a hand on it uh, at okay. the line, it looks like. Um, yeah, it was nice to see. I'll say, you know, on the next drive, it was nice – I thought to see Bucky Irving actually get in the end zone, I felt a little bad that <laughs> Bo Nix has taken so many of the, and Jordan James, you know, have taken a lot of these goal line carries. And it does seem like Bucky's the type of guy who really uh, worries himself too much with, you know, those numbers. He's feels like he's just gone out and worked and done his job really well for this team. Um, but, you know, it was cool to see him get rewarded and, get to actually carry the ball in the end zone himself yeah that, that's nice for him um again he, it's kind of funny because Oregon's running backs aren't putting up like insane numbers on their own but the rushing attack as a whole it, and especially if you include Bo Nix in that uh it's just been on fire the last few weeks we keep saying that these success rates are unsustainable maybe they are in Pac-12 play uh Oregon's success rate running overall in this game was 66%, which is insane off the charts, 99th percentile in the country. Uh, EPA per rush, 0.48. That's another 97th percentile metric. Um, Kind of ironically, the only thing Oregon didn't do well on offense, according to advanced numbers, is explosive play rate. It was only 4%. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with garbage time and the fact that we were just kind of you know, running simple plays towards the end, not really trying to do anything special. Um, Cause we, anyone who watched it know, knows we did have some explosive plays in this game. Um, but yeah, again, really well-rounded attack by the offense. Um, like to see a lot of different people getting touches, but not just getting touches, using them to their advantage. We saw seven McGee get a few touches. Sean dollars got a handful. Like people will get their opportunity to contribute in this offense and honestly, I don't feel like that's something the last staff did a good job of, was just straight up keeping people happy, you know, getting yeah. guys touches. How many t- how many times did we see Micah Pittman, like, complain that he didn't get a pass thrown to him or, like, <laughs> in public complain about, like, not getting enough touches? Um, obviously, he's doing pretty well, I think, at Florida State, uh, and we know that he's talented in the first place. I don't think the last staff did a great job of just simply spreading the ball around to your different guys. And when everybody's getting touches and doing well with them, it keeps everybody happy. It's a really important part of winning. Yeah, you can contrast this game directly with what we saw Oregon do against probably a worse Arizona team last year. Uh, And, you know, people Mm -hmm. probably remember that game wasn't pretty. Uh, Oregon, you know, scored early and immediately forces an interception and it looks like okay the ducks should roll but then it's a you know Oregon settles for a field goal and the game drags on and all of a sudden it's 24-19 in the third quarter like what are we doing you know it feels like um and you know so this was a very nice 
departure from like those type of wins against teams that you should be much better than uh and so yeah exactly mm-hmm. and, and it's the type of thing where when you win these games by this much like it just builds confidence in the team and makes i was just so impressed to see oregon go on the road in a game that could have been tricky and like handle business uh and never leave the result in doubt yeah that's a great way to put it um i think the last thing i want to bring up from this game maybe you have some more talking points do we need to have another ty thompson discussion (laughs) is it even worth mentioning because like I don't really know that we saw anything different uh, than what we're used to, but I don't know. I, to be honest, I wasn't paying attention as much in uh, in the fourth quarter as I even do in like garbage time games. Usually, um, do you have any thoughts on how Ty played? Yeah, it just feels like for whatever reason, Oregon's offense like loses a gear when he's in there, um, and I don't necessarily think that like every pass attempt he makes is, you know, horribly inaccurate or whatever. It just doesn't seem like he has the same command of the offense. Maybe the play calling changes. I don't know what exactly happens. And obviously there's different personnel in there. And, you know, it's a worse situation than being a starting quarterback, of course. And you have less prep and all that stuff. But uh, so, so all that to say, I wouldn't write him off completely going forward, but at the same time, I mean, this Arizona defense is just not good. And there shouldn't be any reason why even Oregon's second string can't come in there and, you know, put a real drive together. And they haven't really shown an ability to do that yet with Ty Thompson leading them. I think that, you know, the interesting note is that Bonix technically does have another year of eligibility. He said he didn't want to use it. Uh, when he transferred to Oregon but who knows if that you know could change down the road this seems like it's been a really fun and successful year for him maybe that garners interest from the NFL maybe he's in a position where he looks at Oregon's you know roster and the guys coming back and says like I could you know stay another year and compete for a playoff spot with Oregon's schedule next season so that's something to monitor and probably that one year of Knicks would be um, a more that would make a bridge that would set up for Dante Moore to come in and seize the job in two years potentially after one year on campus uh, and make it so you know guys like Ty Thompson Jay Butterfield probably wouldn't you know have a starting have a year yeah i I wouldn't hate that honestly um (laughs) i don't i don't know if this is even a conversation worth having but at what point do we kind of give butterfield some reps towards the end of these games um again i'm not sure that's the answer i'm not even necessarily advocating for it i'm just wondering like is that do you think that's something that might be worthwhile at this point it's so hard because there's just so much we don't know i mean we literally haven't seen butterfield play at all uh except for you know a spring game and yeah i don't think he's looked bad in those situations so i'm not opposed to it but i think it's a pretty hard it's 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 a hard topic to really weigh in on because the coaches just have like so 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 much more information about that decision than we can possibly have 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, honestly, man, is there anything else you want to point out from this game? Uh, if not, we can do MVPs and kind of move on. Yeah, I think the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with the Kai Thompson, you know, final few minutes is just how how we feel about Oregon kind of losing out on some style points late in these games. You know, it feels like now with mm-hmm. the Stanford game and the BYU game and this Arizona game, the final score lines have been a bit closer than the game was played as. You know, in each of those games, I think Oregon has gotten to a point in, you know, the mid to late third quarter where they were absolutely blowing out the other team. You know, the other team was in the low teens and Oregon was in the 40s. Uh, and they've let these teams, you know, for the most part, kind of get back 10 or, you know, 14 points or something and not piled on on the scoreboard, not eclipse, you know, the 50 mark. Is that something you really care about or how do you feel about that? It would just be nice to see, you know, three straight punts to end the game is not that fun. (laughs) Like you say, Oregon's backups should be able to continue the dominance that the starters were for the large part they're still playing against backups um so that on its face should tell you something but um i mean it's not something i'm concerned about in the scope of winning or losing games uh it's just something i would like to see um so yeah it doesn't really come into play until people get injured and that's not really something you can predict obviously so uh, in terms of what it means going forward, I'm not, I'm not super worried about it to be honest. Um, all it does is pad stats. So zero points in the fourth quarter, like I, I don't care. The game was over before that point, definitely. So, um, and I mean, even Arizona gets a garbage time touchdown at the end to, and then they even miss the two point conversion, which was kind of funny. But not worried about it. Starters keep rolling as dominantly as they are like we're going to keep winning games. So um, yeah, all around great win. Love how many different people contributed. And, you know, that's a theme obviously at this point. Uh, And we roll into the bye week feeling really good. I mean, we've talked about these three and kind of four clusters of of games with BYU included there uh, in these past four weeks as really dangerous. You know, we expected the ducks to go four and two in that stretch. Um, with you know the stretch of the first six games of the season so as we come into this bye week in the position we are i mean if oregon picks up a win against ucla they're looking at a top 10 honestly close to top five level uh the rest of the country just isn't looking that great i don't know many how many times we have to say it we'll get to it in the national stuff but um let's keep it zoomed in for a second on arizona i guess offensive and defensive mvps Offensive for me, um, I have a hard time. I know Whittington is the one who who got the big touchdown run, and Nick's had a near flawless game, uh, so they're easy selections. But I kind of want to go with Bucky Irving, um, even in his short yardage gains, like the little six, seven, eight, ten yard gains. He just had a mountain of those, and he looked really, really good doing it. Again, he and Whittington. I love the way they run. It reminds me of Lamichael and Kenyon. <laughs> I know it's like those nostalgic takes aren't always like very scientific or whatever, but um, I just really enjoy watching him run the ball. He runs with a ton of energy and a ton of speed. It's, it's just really fun. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that those consistent gains are where this game was kind of won as well. Like, yeah, the big plays helped definitely, but I think mm-hmm. this game was only ever going to be scary if, like, basic, you know, primarily Bucky, if he couldn't gain, you know, over five yards a carry or whatever. Like, it, that was going to be what made this game potentially worrisome. And he just went out and did his job. Uh, and had a lot of those consistent runs. I think for the MVP, I'll go with um, Bo Nix on offense and a shout-out to Kenny Dillingham as well. I mean, if you can go outside of the players, Kenny Dillingham might be my offensive MVP for this game because play calling was good again, and just like he's completely transformed this Oregon offense from what it's been over the past few seasons. Yeah, I think that's a great shout. Um, I also shouted out the offensive line earlier in the in the episode, but I mean the fact that they didn't shoot our we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot with dumb pre snap penalties or snap infractions. I think this is our first game without a snap infraction. <laughs> um, it was, again just really solid performance by everybody. Everybody te- seemed focused. Like Arizona wasn't too small of an opponent for them. Like I'm really glad we took this game seriously. Uh, again, in the Mario era, a lot of these games, like you're talking about with last year's as a comparison, like we just didn't get up for a lot of these kind of mediocre opponents. Um, so it was really nice to, to have a big convincing win uh, in, a, in a blowout fashion. Don't even give them a chance to think about winning this game. Like just put it away early, score often. And like you're saying, these, these drives, I mean, I think I use the word like efficient and consistent on like every single drive description in this game um you know a lot of eight yard touchdown drives from like 75 plus yards that's that's a sign of a pretty good offense um being able to stretch the field vertically and horizontally I, i don't know i could go on all day about how well this offense did but um also shout out to jordan james he was also super efficient carrying the ball uh i know he's kind of the quote unquote short yardage back which i i don't know i don't I never really cared much for those sort of distinctions. I, I don't think there's a necessarily huge difference in what he does and what like some of the other backs can do, but um, just another solid game on the ground. Entire offensive line played well. Everybody played well. Uh, defensive side, I kind of want to give it to Florence, even though he struggled a little bit at times, um, just for stepping up into the spot that he was asked to do. It was nice to see Flo back out there. We talked about that a little bit. Um But who's your defensive MVP? I'm curious. I think I'm going to go with Bennett Williams for forcing a turnover. You know, he was the one guy on the team Mm. that really forced one uh, with his strip sack on Delora. And he's been a guy who's had kind of a knack for making those sort of plays going back to his time at Illinois. And, you know, he did it again here. Just he seems to always make those kind of tackles and get his hand in the right place to strip a ball or, you know, find the interception or whatever it is. And I think that he's another leader on the back end that's really helpful, uh, in addition to Christian Gonzalez, who had another rock solid game. Uh, so I'll go with Bennett Williams just because, you know, he made that big play. Nice. I really like that shout. He had four tackles. All of them were solo, unassisted. Um, He was one of five Oregon players with a tackle for loss in this game. 
it was really nice to see some negative plays on defense. Uh, and he was also, he got one of the sacks, um, which came from him and Vasa. Kind of ironic that the um, that the D linemen don't get them, but, you know, that's just kind of the way it, it is sometimes. Um, all right, man, anything else you want to tie up about this game? No, no, I think I think we got it for this one. Sweet. Well, another great win for Oregon, and they keep their momentum going into this bye week. Got to think as we look around the conference that 5-1 and one is a really, really good place to be. Um, we know how the Pac-12 works. We know that teams are just going to kind of knock themselves out of the race one at a time. And I think we saw a certain uh, neighbor from up north do that this weekend. Is Can we start there in the Pac-12 slate? Yeah, let's do it. Dude, um, Arizona State just straight up beating Washington. Uh, I watched this whole game, and it, it's just got to be embarrassing. I mean, this is they haven't won in Tempe since like 2001 or something like that. Um, oh my since god! We were literally one years old each. Uh, ASU 45, Washington 38. Arizona State's. Arizona State was in the 94th percentile for EPA per play in this game, which is just insane considering they didn't have Emory Jones for like most of it. I think he got knocked out in the first or second quarter. Um, and I mean, you if you look at this win probability chart, it just completely like flips throughout the game. Um, it steadily increases to being Arizona State's game to lose. And honestly, they just straight up looked like the better team from what I saw. Um, I don't know how much of this you got to watch, yeah. but I mean, Washington ran damn near a hundred plays on offense and they had 549 yards and it still just seemed like they weren't in control of the game really at any point. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I mean, the fact that they haven't won in Tempe since 2001 is insane. I don't really understand how that's possible. Like that's <laughs> that's a lot of losses in a row. Um, and Arizona State hasn't, you know, they've been a solid Pac-12 program, but they haven't been a juggernaut for twenty straight years or anything. Um, it's just crazy. It's crazy. It, it makes you know a lot of the arguments that Huskies fans make just absurd. I think they have similar streaks at Stanford as well. Um, and versus UCLA, someone was highlighting the fact that those are grass fields and they've lost, I think combined between those opponents, like 17 of 19 or something on the road there, just insane, uh, you know, picture of what Washington has been over the past 20 years, really. But in this game, I think, I mean, the offense kind of sputtered, um, to start like they picked it up again like they did at UCLA but even though they were moving the ball um pretty well you know going in midway through the third quarter they have 17 points and have given up a pick six like that's you know not good enough from in a, in a game where your defense isn't really doing much of anything to stop Arizona State so I think the Washington defense is officially really bad, uh, and I think that their offense, especially on the road, is, um, you know, good, but liable for, 
a few inconsistent drives and mistakes. So that kind of changes the, you know, that in conjunction with, well, with with all of these Pac-12 slate, I think an interesting thing is we've highlighted from an Oregon perspective these last three games pretty much, you know, since the Georgia game we or even before the season we were talking about like, yep, this last three, Washington at home, Utah, and at Oregon State are, you know, going to tell the tale of the season pretty much. And this weekend, all three of those teams almost lost. And it took a last second play from Oregon State, which we'll get to, but that was there was a big hit to kind of that last three uh, that made me think in conjunction with Oregon's really positive performance that the Ducks have a good shot to, you know, whether it's win all three of those games or go two and one or whatever, have some success in that final stretch. Yeah, definitely. And as early as or as late as last episode, we were talking about those three games as kind of the crucial turning points in Oregon season. But honestly, we're getting one sooner than that now in week eight. I don't think either of us really expected UCLA to do what they did. I mean, they looked like straight up the better team against Utah uh, this weekend. I don't remember the exact final score. It was kind of a funky like ending to it, but um, they look dominant in that game. And that's probably something we've been talking about is that'll probably be college game day coming to Eugene. There's a lot of good built-in narrative there with Chip coming back and UCLA being undefeated now. Um, I think we can firmly look past the the South Alabama result um, and just focus on the fact that UCLA has, no one's really been able to slow them down since that game. And that includes two really impressive wins over two solid teams at the time in UW and Utah. Um, I mean, the LA schools have to, I think, both be included in that top tier at this point of Pac-12 teams um, with Oregon as well, considering Oregon's sustained dominance. We're getting into that portion of the season read where the tiers kind of become defined by the Pac-12 standings themselves, which I'm always a huge fan of using, just kind of makes things easier. And it's, you know, quite literally what the... uh, it quite literally defines the stakes for each of these teams. If you just look at the the conference records, there are only three undefeated Pac-12 teams at this point, undefeated in conference play, that is. Uh, and again, those are the LA schools in Oregon. I think UCLA just kind of swapped themselves into that top tier, uh, and Utah is now firmly in their own, I think, um, in being the, what did you call it? I know you made some tiers and you had UCLA in a, was it the waiting room? I really like that. Yeah, I had him in the waiting room going into this game. Uh, and now I I might have UCLA at the top of the conference. I don't know if that's you know com- ridiculous to say, but that's sort of how it feels after this game. I don't think anyone has a result against a team we thought was as good as Utah, uh, where they looked as you know clearly dominant as Washington did on Saturday, or as UCLA did on Saturday. Yeah, man. I mean, that was a... <laughs> they just look dominant against what we thought was a really good Utah team. So um, if you didn't get the chance to watch this game, go check out the highlights. It's it's worth like a rewatch. Um, it was just a really entertaining game with a lot of big plays. I think Utah made it look a little more interesting than it was towards the end there. But um, I mean, UCLA, holy crap, 12 yards per drop back is an insane rate. Um, so it's just a 50... They had a 56% success rate 
and Utah had a 60% success rate. Like, both of those numbers are really solid for offenses. Um, but UCLA just made more plays to win the game. And I mentioned it earlier, but I have a hard time thinking anyone but DTR is the best player in the conference at this point in the season. Um, he's been running riot on in these last two games and really all season. Uh, and we're getting good DTR, you know, because that was always the discussion in the past. It was like, well, you can have good DTR or bad DTR. And he's been <laughs> insanely good the last couple of weeks, man. Yeah, I think from an Oregon perspective, this UCLA game, you know, presents a really interesting challenge and a huge, you know, for narratives, for perception of this Oregon team, it's a chance to vault yourself firmly inside the top 10 and uh, like really, you know, I don't know if you erase what happened against Georgia, but it looks pretty far in the rear view mirror if Oregon's able to get a, you know, get a win over UCLA. Uh, and I think that there's some reason for hope there. I mean, part of what we know makes, you know, the engine of Chip Kelly's offenses run are, you know, is the run game. And I think that, you know, Utah's secondary is really good. And that's why people have called them maybe the best defense in the league. But their run defense hasn't been great. And that showed up in this game. You know, mm-hmm. Zach Charbonnet ran for nine yards per carry. Uh, that's yeah, that's nuts, and that's impressive. And it, you know, yes, it says things about how good UCLA is, uh, for sure. I, you know, I won't take that away from them necessarily, but at the same time, I think that we haven't seen teams do that to Oregon yet. Uh, and I have some hope that the Ducks will, you know, be able to keep that total to something more reasonable. And if they do, that you know, it changes what this offense looks like for UCLA we saw that happen when you know Chip was at Oregon when teams could consistently you know keep us to under four yards a carry or whatever like it was going to be a a rough day um, if that couldn't be established and I think that Oregon has a chance to keep that total down uh, and change how this game looks I also think that UCLA hasn't you know had to go on the road yet and that's like what Autzen is going to be in two weeks uh, really excites me, the potential of that. And I think like, I, you know, that has the potential to really shape the game versus UCLA for sure. It's a great way to put it. Uh, in the AP poll that just dropped, it looks like UCLA is number 11. Oregon stays at number 12. That's That's a really interesting narrative right there. I mean, we're already getting into how difficult it'll be to distinguish the better team heading into this game. Um, like you said, UCLA hasn't really tripped up like Oregon did in week one, but they've also never, they haven't really played a road game yet. Um, I think their last, what is it? Four or five games have been in the Rose bowl, something insane like that. No. So, okay. Five of their six games have been in the Rose bowl. Um, so, and honestly, like, this is probably the only tough road game they'll play in this year. Uh, their other road trips are at ASU and at Cal at the end of the season. Like, <laughs> I doubt those crowds will be anywhere close to what Autzen presents in Week 8. So, um, I mean, the more I look at this UCLA schedule, the more I see a really, really important matchup here at Oregon. I mean, if they can somehow get a win in that game... USC is really the only 
team that should pose a threat for the rest of the season for them. Um, what a monumental clash well, that would be if, if it was undefeated versus undefeated. But yeah, go ahead. And that's the really scary thing about this game is that if Oregon loses this, and just based on how the tiebreakers work with head-to-head, like you need UCLA to lose two more games. Otherwise, they have a spot over you in the conference championship game. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's assuming Oregon ran the table through the rest of their schedule, which obviously isn't you know anywhere near a guarantee. Um, but on the other side, winning that game you know, for Oregon gives them a huge advantage over UCLA in the conference title race uh, and, you know, gives them an extra game of margin for error. So this is just such a big matchup and it's really important again that it's at home. I think that that's kind of how I feel honestly about, you know, and outlining my tiers after this week, um, I kept Utah in my top four tiers and my read on really those top four Um, I know even though UCLA controlled this game, I, I feel like I'm at the point where I would just favor any of those four teams who's at home against any other of them. Mm. That's like as simple as it is for me, because Utah is a drastically different team, you know, in Salt Lake city versus anywhere else. Uh, and yeah, I think all these games would be close, but I think I would just favor the home team of those four. That's a really good way to put it. The line I'm looking at right now for Oregon and UCLA is uh, Oregon are four-point favorites, or four and a half more typically, I think. Um, wow. And that's open right now? Yeah. Those are not at every book, but uh, I'm looking at Action right. Network, which gives you a whole spread of them. And it looks like four and a half is kind of the the consensus for Oregon, juiced a little bit. On, that's fascinating. So UCLA, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, like you're saying, that's pretty much just home field advantage right there, right? Um, I think especially, you know, usually you consider home field being like three, four points. And then especially when you consider UCLA hasn't been in that road environment like we're talking about, uh, maybe that adds like a little point and a half or something like that. But I mean, I think what we're seeing is the, the AP poll voters and Vegas don't really know how to distinguish these two teams. Um they're both really well-rounded offenses that can hurt you in a lot of different ways. The defenses have both shown problems at different points, but in general, I, I think they're both rounding into their own. This this is quickly turning into like maybe the biggest conference game of the year remaining. Um, I don't know. We can yeah. we can talk about that during the bye week and see what else develops, but especially in this Utah USC game, but. Um, I, I mean, is that fair to say that this is like, right now, this seems like the biggest game remaining? Yeah, I think what UCLA just did to Utah kind of turned it into that, right? I mean, I think yeah. USC, UCLA probably has the other best case right now. But, you know, I would have said Utah, USC and Utah, Oregon. But yeah, you know, UCLA just made it so that I think you know, whatever game you think is the biggest left has to include them, especially since Oregon and USC don't, you know, meet up in the regular season this year. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's really disappointing they don't. I know the one of the broadcasts was talking about this at some point. Um, it was, maybe it was the Oregon one, maybe it was the USC one, where they were like, the Pac-12 needs their best teams playing against each other. Like, 
the fact that UW and Oregon both don't get to play USC this year is really like robbing us of some really entertaining games and games that not just for Pac-12 fans, you know, eyeballs, but the entire country would tune into games like that. Uh, maybe not Washington at this point as much, but Oregon for sure. I mean, that's a big time opponent that they're missing out on. So um, let's continue throughout some of these Pac-12 results. Uh, let's just do USC right now. They kind of sit on Wazoo in the second half, sort of make this game irrelevant. Final score was, I believe, uh, I have it, had it right in front of me, 30-14. to 14. Uh, They shut out Wazoo in the second half. Pretty dominant performance, all things considered. I was watching most of this game, and then my attention sort of shifted to Oregon and then the Bama game a little bit um, towards the end of the Oregon game. But uh, did you catch any of this? If so, like, what did you think? Which game? Which game was that? Sorry, uh, USC Wazoo. Yeah, I thought. Uh, you know, honestly, I thought that USC kind of made that game. Even though I think, like, yeah, the refs played a little bit of a role for them, and it wasn't a completely convincing win in some ways. And you know, they trailed in that second quarter for a bit. I also felt like they controlled that game in other ways that you know Oregon wasn't able to against Washington State uh, and particularly their defense just like you know I mean keeping Washington State to 14 was is somewhat impressive mm-hmm. uh, and it's a team that Oregon made look like you know a way better offensive team than I think they really are uh, you know I, Oregon's still evolving but honestly even though like USC's offense wasn't hor- wasn't terribly explosive, I s- still left this game feeling better about USC than I did going into it. Um, and I honestly left it putting them in my rankings slightly above Oregon for that two spot because you know even though it's at home and Oregon went on the road, I just think that they made this Washington State game a lot less scary than the Ducks made it. Yeah, uh, as you're saying, their defense really stepped up in this one. After Wazoo took the lead at 14-10 in the second quarter, their remaining drives were this. Punt, punt, end of half, punt, downs, punt, punt, end of game. That's... That's a dominant defensive performance by USC um, down the stretch. We know the Cougars can be good on offense. And I think it is safe to say, like, USC's defense has shown more than Oregon's, uh, despite a a solid performance from Oregon's defense against Arizona. Uh, I mean, it's still Arizona, even with the talent they have. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with putting them one or two. Honestly, I think the L.A. schools are kind of interchangeable in those power rankings right now. But, I mean, we just talked about how indistinguishable UCLA and Oregon were on paper. Um, so I guess all three of those teams, like I wouldn't be particularly scared playing USC next week. If we had to, I do think I would feel a little bit worse about playing them than Utah. Um, and for me, that's kind of my barometer in putting USC above Mm -hmm. Utah or sorry, UCLA. Um, at this point, I don't know, maybe you think differently, but, uh, right now I, I still think USC is like the top dog in the conference. Yeah, I have UCLA ahead of them, but, you know, I don't really have much. um, It's not a hill I'm willing to die on with how 
anyone ranks these top three teams. Uh, and even Utah, you know, you can put above Oregon or USC if you want to. I don't know what the line is right now on that Utah-USC game. Uh, I'd be really interested to see. But, yeah, it's it's Utah minus three right now, I think. In uh, in large part because they're at home, I'm sure. Uh, and, you know, you can have a take on that either way. I, I'm not mad about it. But the point is, I think, like, there's no wrong way to look at these top four teams other than, obviously, you have to have UCLA above Utah yeah. after what we just saw on Saturday, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Utah is a little bit down right now. I do think it's interesting that they're favored. Um, I mean, on paper, again, like on a neutral site, USC's got to be the favorite, I would think. They just have better weapons on offense. Um, but, yeah, I'm super excited to see that game. Do do we have, like, a time for that game yet? We know what time it's going to be and what, like, network or anything? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, that. Fox, Fox at 5 p.m. Pacific. Ooh, lovely. Oh, my God. That's so nice. Let's go. Um, God, I'm, I'm excited for the rest of this Pac-12 season, man. Like, it's been a really, really fun season so far. There are a lot of good teams, and not just good, but, like, genuinely entertaining teams and storylines that we can follow. Like, I, I'm really, really enjoying this. Um, I don't know. I do think it's really, like, ironic, and it sucks that, like, the L.A. schools are getting good once they decide to leave, of course. Um, I don't know. Maybe that has – obviously, it has a lot to do with the transfer portal and some of these newer rules. So, like, maybe it's just bad timing. Like, maybe if they had stuck around a couple more years, Pac-12 could get a better TV deal and then, you know, snowball into something better for them. But anyways, it's, there's no point in backtracking all that. Um, my point is, it's like, this is a good league. I mean, there are three teams right now who have a genuine argument to be in the top 10. Um, and, like, a couple more who have arguments to be in the top 25. Uh, maybe not Wazoo at this point, but I mean, Utah is still number 20 in the country. Can't say that's completely undeserved. Um, Oregon State is at four and two. We'll talk about their win against Stanford in a second. They could climb their way back into like a, a top 25 adjacent position, I think. Um, Washington, really disappointing to see that from them, but you know, this is a really healthy league right now. Um, it's got a lot of big like well-performing teams and i i have you know as we keep talking about every week when other teams keep faltering like the pac-12 only looks better as they stay consistent so um i do think we got some crystallization around the country in, in terms of who's good and who's legit and who's less so but let's finish it off with this oregon state stanford game first um i'm not gonna lie i got dragged out of the house before i could watch the end of this game live uh, but I did see the final play and my conclusion from this game is holy crap are the Beavers lucky to be escaping with a win in this one. I think we both picked them to cover the seven points. Yeah, we did. Very wrong about that. I mean, I don't know how much of this you watched, but I, I think it's safe to say they were lucky to get out of this thing alive. Yeah, that's definitely safe to say. I had them, you know, in a tier kind of with, cal and arizona going into this game uh and i think some people you know questioned whether that was the case whether they were closer to wazoo this was a really uh just not a good performance from them their offense still is just not very good 
Um, and, you know, I, Stanford is a bad team, right? We've talked about this a lot. I think we, I think we all know what Stanford is. I don't think that uh, anyone should look at this result and say, oh, maybe Stanford's actually pretty good. They haven't won an FBS game in over a year now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we can be pretty clear in our conclusions, you know, that uh, about what this means for Oregon State. But at the same time, uh, for whatever it says about them being bad right now, I, there are still th- some pieces there. You know, the defense has looked improved. I think that if they could find a quarterback somehow, you know, whatever that means, probably Chance Nolan coming back and looking, you know, more like w- what he has in his better moments. Uh, the defense is good. If they can get back to their identity and establish a run game, like they can be a good team. Um, they can, you know, still make a bowl game. They still have Colorado and Arizona state, uh, and Cal on the schedule. Um, Washington state is next week. Like uh, that's a game that they're probably going to be, uh, well, the line right now is them minus three. I'm just looking these up as we talk. That's surprising to me. Mm-hmm. I would take. I'll take. I'll go ahead and skip to the midweek episode. I'm probably going to take Washington <laughs> State in that one, if it holds anywhere near that. Um, but they could win that game, and then all of a sudden they have Colorado the next week, and then they're by, and then Washington. And so it's kind of a thing where I think this is a game that just by winning it, it can change a lot of things. Like it, it. It's the type of result where you can look back a month from now and forget the details of what this game is. And if they mm-hmm. beat Washington State in Colorado and they're walking in to play to play at Washington, uh, at you know what would it be six and two? <laughs> Got to think that's, that's a pretty impressive. Game at this point too. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a winnable game. And then they have Cal and Arizona State, and all of a sudden, they're you know. those are two winnable games and like we're getting ahead of ourselves but that would be nine and two like Mm -hmm. yeah with a chance to get back into the conference race against Oregon uh is that like the most likely scenario no like I I would pick Washington State to win next weekend and feel pretty good about it not you know a hundred percent but I think Washington State's the better team um, you dub it home you would also expect and that i to, don't to be a loss for them too yeah and i don't think you can completely trust oregon state based on what we've seen to just roll over arizona state on the road or you know cal at home even uh so we'll see uh i'm certainly not predicting oregon state's gonna be nine and two at that point but i'm am saying like this is a this keeps their season alive another week and after this washington state game they pretty much you know going out of that will have three weeks until they head to washington uh you know to get right somehow and find their identity again and get healthy at quarterback so yeah man it was a big result (laughs) as as ugly as it was yeah i mean even that final play i think was a perfect from what i understand that's kind of a perfect like metaphor for how the entire game went as soon as we jump off this call i'm gonna go watch the highlights from that game um but man like you said wins are the most important stat in college football uh if you can grind out a win it doesn't matter how late how ugly it is 
Um, a win's a win. And especially for a team like the Beavers, like those are the type of things that matter. You know, Oregon needs style points if they want to, you know, do certain things. We talked about this pretty much all of last season. Um, but for those those middle tier like conference teams, the Purdue's of the world. I don't know why I thought of Purdue, but um, those are really important games. And like the final score doesn't matter. The the W does. So good for the Beavs. I'm happy for them. Um, they, you know, we we just kind of hashed them to death. But uh, I hope that they can improve because, as we always say, it's more entertaining when the Beavers are fun. So um, that's all the games from this week, but. Honestly, I do want to take a little sneak peek to next week as you're doing because I pull up the schedule. There's some good games, man. Like, I'm just so excited to watch every week of, and every game of Pac-12 football at this point. I'm even getting excited about Cal and Colorado. Like, that's how, I mean, maybe that says something bad about me, but I want to. this is going to be one <laughs> of the only chances Colorado has to pull off a win this season. I'm, I'm genuinely excited to see, like, how Cal's offense plays against Colorado uh both these teams had a bye last week arizona at washington like is washington really you know if washington loses that game they're straight up a bad team uh not just bad on yeah. the road so that's one to watch stanford goes to notre dame that's a could be a big i mean imagine if stanford's like <laughs> only <laughs> fbs win in over a year is against notre dame in uh south bend that would be hilarious you, we, you mentioned Wazoo, Oregon State, and then there's the big one, USC, Utah, that should have the nation's attention. Um, I can pull up like what the slate looks like next week, but I mean that's a top, legit top twenty matchup in which the the um, number twenty team is favored by three points against the number seventeen. Like on paper, that's a that's a game that the entire country will be watching. Um, so yeah, let, let's absolutely. talk about uh, national teams from or national games from this week. Um, cause it was a great slate in that as well. I think we got to start at the top with Bama, man. I don't know how much of this you got to watch with the, the Oregon game on, but, um, yeah, most of the fourth quarter Yeah, that was at least had on a second screen. Absolutely insane stuff. Um, the fact that, I mean, everybody leading up to this game was just talking about how much Jimbo was going to like <laughs> get smacked around in this game. His team played well and they gave themselves a chance to win, uh, down the stretch. That last play, though, holy crap, what a terrible call, uh, play call that is. And then, I don't know, maybe there's some controversy about, like, should they have had six seconds, which would have given them probably two plays instead of just one. I don't know. I, I wasn't paying that close attention to it. But, like, man, I I said this last week and I'll say it again. Like, you got to rank Ohio State number one. Uh, they just keep rolling over people. And both the SEC teams at the top have shown legitimate flaws in the past few weeks so do you agree with that yeah yeah i agree uh i think ohio state's the best team right now and i think that um if this was just such a head scratcher how could you have seen this one coming after like all the stuff between saban and jimbo <laughs> um and just what texas a&m has looked like it's really yeah really a surprising result and the fact that i mean it wasn't it was you know surprising that it was competitive at all but for it you know through those penalties and everything to get down to a last play on the two yard line where 
you know, regardless of how different the teams are, A&M has a chance there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was wild. I think Tennessee, on the other hand, is surging yeah. in the SEC right now. And, like, legitimately, they play Alabama uh, next weekend. Like, that's Ooh. a huge game to watch. Uh, I think it's at home, too. Damn. Um, that's going to be a game where, yeah, I'm looking at the line. Alabama's favored by eight right now. I mean, how often do you get to see Alabama play a game, you know, with a single-digit spread? Uh, so yeah. I'm really excited for that game. And, yeah, otherwise around the country, like Kentucky falling off without Will Levis, it's kind of disappointing. I don't – doesn't change how I feel about Kentucky that much. Um, Oklahoma State still rolling in the Big 12, like – Still looks like the team there. Sad to see Kansas go down uh, to TCU. Any any other games that really stood out to you? Um, you mentioned the Tennessee game. I I actually picked LSU to win that game. I thought their home crowd would would take carry them. I didn't realize it was a day game, which probably makes a world of difference in Death Valley. But regardless, right. um, Clemson keeps rolling. I I'm okay with them being in the top five at this point. Uh, Michigan Penn State next week is going to be a huge game but I mean I'm looking at the I feel comfortable you know I feel safe enough to look at the AP poll now like just as a gauge for where different teams are mainly to look at records and Oregon is still that top rated one loss team uh, getting a lot of respect obviously losing in week one helps with that a little bit but the fact that we got trounced as badly as we did and that we're still that best rated one loss team I mean even 5-0 TCU is still right behind us in the standings. Bodes pretty well for Oregon's shot at like a New Year's Six game. Um, even if they don't end up winning the conference, like they still could be a really good two-loss candidate for one of those New Year's Six games. Um, so just something to keep an eye on down the stretch, I guess. Really impressed with Mississippi State. Um, obviously, we both talked about how they would probably roll over Arkansas with, you know, one of the worst pass defenses against Mike Leach team, like, that was as expected. Um, I don't know why Kentucky is still ranked, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know. Oh, Miami, dude. <laughs> oh, man, Mario. Uh, I watched, like, the tail end of that game and just <laughs> just an absolutely brutal loss to, to North Carolina. Um, so that was kind of funny to see. Uh, I can't really think of any other ones. Uh, from this week oh Oklahoma State escaping against Texas Tech I can't remember if you mentioned that but um, that's one of those teams that I would kind of expect to slip up at some point it's kind of funny the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have sort of re reversed roles in terms of what the rankings usually are at this point in the season right uh, usually you have like one Pac-12 team hanging on by a thread in the top 10 and then like nobody else really threatening I think the next highest rate, okay, TCU, I guess is you could say they're threatening, but, um, and then the Pac-12, like I said, has three top 10 caliber teams. So we'll see who falls off in that Michigan-Penn State game. That'll be interesting. And we can talk about this all midweek. We're getting way too ahead of ourselves, but I'm really excited for the rest of the season, man. Um, honestly, the, it was refreshing to get that Georgia loss out of the way that now we can just kind of take a deep breath and like sit back and, and look at the the national slate here in week seven because um, there are so many good games coming up this week a ton of ranked on ranked matchups um, with potential for upsets of course 
Yeah, man. I'm, I'm yeah. very excited to be a football fan right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And it feels so nice to reach a bye week feeling yeah. like very satisfied with the performance we just saw from Oregon and what they've done through these past five games overall. Um, yeah. The last thing I'll leave the listeners with is the update on Tulane. Yes, with sir. With the 24-9 win over East Carolina. Yes, sir. Are they ranked? They're they're just on the edge. I think they're thirtieth right now. Okay. Uh, like if if you're doing the, um, you know, receiving votes, including that as well. So, they're five and one. I don't know. Well, the last time that Tulane made a bowl game, they have a game against South Florida coming up next should week. Should be a win. Uh, that they should should be their eleven point favorites in. So, nice. Keep it rolling. Yeah, man. One game I forgot to mention, BYU losing to Notre Dame doesn't help. Uh, I did think it was funny that it's like Mormons versus Catholics in Vegas. That's just kind of a funny narrative. Uh, Stanford going to Notre Dame next week. We'll see what they can do. BYU has honestly looked terrible since they stepped into Autzen um, every week. So hopefully they can get things going for Oregon's sake. But honestly, at this point, I don't really care about that stuff as much as I have in past seasons, right? Because it's not like we're gunning for a playoff spot. I don't want to like soapbox for Oregon making it into the top four at the end of the year um I just want us to take care of our own business so let's hope that we can keep doing I, I, that right and I think that uh like the BYU just with how these rankings actually work I think the BYU win has kind of done its job of carrying Oregon up into the top 15 <laughs> uh and now it doesn't really matter because this UCLA game is coming up you know yeah. and whatever happens but you know now Oregon has a chance to if they take care of business have UCLA there and that's going to be a game that you know is kind of could be a buffer for them or would be a buffer for UCLA or who whoever of you know that head-to-head result keeping them up somewhere in the polls uh and UCLA is going to hang around in the polls for a while um they're they're going to be a good team the rest of the year it looks like yeah, I'm super excited for that game. I think I'm going to be able to make my way down to it, but um, if I can find a ticket at this point, I mean, shoot. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about the same thing. <laughs> it's going to be pretty difficult, but uh, I'll see what I can do. Hopefully we can both make it down there, man. Um, great week of football this week. Uh, now I get to go stress out about a uh, certain Timbers game, but I'm sure our listeners don't care about that as much. So, um, Thanks for listening to us. Please rate us five stars. and. Uh, Go Ducks. Go Ducks.